Uh, This morning, why don't we pick up at uh, chapter 27, verse 39, and I'll read down and through uh, chapter 28, verse 10. And let me open with a word of prayer. Holy Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this uh, wonderful body of believers as we rejoice together in the uh, abundance of your grace, your love, your mercy shown to us through your son Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. Pray that you would bless our time together this morning as we look into your word, both here in this hour and uh, as we prepare for service your saints to worship from the depths of their heart, that we will grow together in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. The shipwreck is where we are, Acts 27, verse 39. We looked at it last week. We'll briefly summarize um, these last few verses in order to um, enter into the island of Malta. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that tied the rudders, they ho- then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable. And the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land. And the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that they all were brought safely to land. After we were brought safely through... We then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled the fire and welcomed us all, because it had began. It had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, Justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hand on him, healed him. And when, his, and when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed." You ever had a bad day, (laughs) bad month, bad year? (laughs) Um, With Paul, just as one episode ends, there's another. You're hit with another problem, and you begin to wonder 
you know what you know what is God doing? Um, we all go through seasons like that, I think. Uh, but here for Paul is yet another episode of trauma. Um, he's been beaten by the Jews. He's been rescued uh, by Roman guards. He stood before a Roman governor who was perplexed as what to do with this Jew who's preaching this Jesus who's been raised from the dead, who also is a Roman citizen. He didn't know what to do. He's left two years in accessory in prison, stands before yet another Roman governor, and that puppet king Agrippa. And then finally, he appeals to Caesar. He gets his wish. He boards a ship. He's on one small vessel, too small to go out in the open sea. He transfers, as the, and, and the rest of the crew as well, onto an Alexandrian grain ship, which uh, is shipwrecked. They escape, and now he's bitten by a snake. <laughs> God's servant. This is God's apostle. Uh, but in and all... And through it all, we see, in this account, we see the promise of God fulfilled, the providence of God once again being worked out, and and then the power of God being made manifest through this servant. So here they are, after two weeks, adrift on the open sea, in the midst of this unrelenting northeaster, this nor'easter storm, this hurricane, this typhoon-like storm, um, they're finally shipwrecked. Uh, the ship breaks into pieces. You know, they hit a reef, and it starts breaking apart from the aft end forward. Um, we all know he was no stranger to shipwrecks. We read in Second Corinthians, um, which is a letter that was written two years prior to this shipwreck. Paul said he had been in three shipwrecks. And on one occasion, spending a night and a day adrift on the open sea. So this is shipwreck number four. So they strike the bow of the ship into the sand. Um, The soldiers are afraid that they're going to lose some of these prisoners. So they pull out their swords. They're going to put them to death. And uh, the commanding officer... uh, of the Roman guard here says, no, do not do this, as Paul assured them that they would all make it alive. Um, So he prevents the soldiers from doing that. The soldiers are no doubt in fear because to lose your prisoner was perhaps to lose your own life. Um, And uh, they're all spared. So Paul and all of his companions, everyone on board, 276 men all together, make it to shore. They have no idea where they are. And here we're told that they were offshore of the island of Malta, um, an island that the Phoenicians, Phoenician sailors had named, uh, which means refuge or escape. So here they crash. They're shipwrecked on, a, 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 on an island called Refuge, an island called Escape. So here we see the promise of God fulfilled. It's the first thing we want to notice Verse 1, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. You know, there were no chapter breaks. There's no chapter breaks or verses in the original writings of Scripture. But here at the end of chapter 27, we see um, um, Luke um, 
chapter 27 and beginning of 28, he repeats the fact that they were all brought safely to land to emphasize, of course, the promise of God fulfilled. Here they are, spared. Paul had assured them that they would be spared. The native people, verse 2, showed us unusual kindness. They kindled the fire. They welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and it was cold. Native people. I think the King James translates it barbarians. Um, It's just a term that the Greeks used for anyone who didn't speak the Greek language. So here they are, foreigners, speaking um, in their native tongue. They land um, on Malta. And these people, these natives, show them unusual kindness. Extraordinary. Beyond normal kindness. Now we know that all humanity is sinful and totally depraved. Amen? Total depravity. Yet even within a pagan culture like this, not exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ yet, there is something in man that reacts like this when other men are hit by trauma. It's a product of God's what? Common grace. God's common grace. And it it actually engenders human responsibility. We know what the word of God says about the conscience in Romans 2. And it will lead most people to this kind of response. Most people. Jesus outlined this reality in his classic illustration in Luke 10. He's talking about loving your neighbor and so on. A lawyer stands up, of course, desiring to justify himself. He says, who's my neighbor? Remember Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed and left him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He cared for him. He soothed his wounds. He put him up and uh, provided care for him. And it's interesting that Jesus uses, is the hero of the story, a, a despised Samaritan. And he shows this kind of uh, neighborly affection. So these Maltese natives here um, welcomed 276 cold, hungry, exhausted men Um, And as I was going through some resources this week, I was reminded that God always, you think about this, God always notes kindness in scripture, even by pagan people towards his people. He always notes those who are kind to his own. As far back as Genesis 12 in the Abrahamic covenant, when God said, Abraham, 
is going to be the father of a great nation, and that through him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He says, I will bless them that bless you. I will curse them that curse you. So here it is. It's early or mid-November. At this point, it's cold. They're in a hurricane. They're soaking wet. And now they're exposed to this north, this nor'easter wind. And the natives come out and prepare for them a fire. If you're going to make a fire for 276 men, that's a big fire. That's a bona fide bonfire. Like in school, at homecoming week. Remember those bonfires, homecoming week? You stack up a bunch of crates, or the, the pallets, right? You ever see those fires? This is a big fire. So there's the promise of God fulfilled. And now, under the scope of providence, verse 3, when Paul had gathered bundles of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. We have to ask, what stands out to you in that verse? Think about this. It's not the snake. It's the fact that the Apostle Paul, okay, after all that he had done in these two weeks of a, uh, of a tossing and turning ship, proclaiming the truth of God, that they would all make it safe to shore, gets to shore, and if anyone was, should have been able to sit around and warm his hands at the fire and tell everybody else what to do, it would have been Paul. But Paul, the servant of Christ, no task is too small for the servant of God who has the mind of Christ. He goes and he gathers a bunch of sticks. One commentator writes, it is, no, it is only the little man who refuses the little task. This was typical for Paul. Not, not to sit around and watch, but he participates here in the, in the ministry of mercy. He's something, isn't he? Apostle Paul. So all throughout the account, on board, on shore, Paul is a man of God, and he is therefore a man of action. And he's a very wise man. I mean, he, this is a man who combines spirituality with sanity. A lot of people who are spiritual in the Lord, who, who you think they're, they're not sane. He meshes theology with common sense. Do you remember at the outset of this whole thing? I advise you not to go this time of year. You know, the angel didn't come to him yet. God didn't speak to him from a cloud. He says, wisdom tells me, look, let's not go at this time of year. Let's winter here. Common sense. A man of God who joined faith and works together. That's what a true man or woman of God is. Faith and works together. And here's an example of it. So as he's serving, he's placing this bundle of sticks on this fire. And then because of the heat, you know, this, this torpid creature, uh, all of a sudden from the heat apparently regains its vigor and uh, 
strikes out at Paul, whether he picked up what he thought was a stick and it was a snake, whatever, however we're supposed to understand this, the fact of the matter is, is this, this thing was revived um, by, by, by from the heat and strikes out at Paul, holds on, a deadly viper. And then, verse 4, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man's a murderer. Though he had escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. So as quick as these native islanders display unusual kindness, they're just as quick to make sense out of this ordeal um, using their, their pagan presuppositions. They don't know anything about Paul. They, they, they perhaps know he's a prisoner on, on this vessel that just broke apart. So they jump to the conclusion that he's a murderer. And it's a conclusion that many reach in our day, right? If something bad happens to you, you must be up to something bad. <laughs> so they wait for him to swell up. They see him twiddling their thumbs, looking. You know, peering at him, waiting for him to swell up or drop dead. You know, they're reasoning, you know, although he's escaped justice somehow, someway, in the gods of the storm, the gods of the storm didn't get him, but justice will catch up to him. And justice has come upon him. And they're obviously steeped in Greek mythology, as all pagans were in that day. And they believed that the Greek gods were, res- were relentless in bringing wrongdoers to justice. So they would have concluded here that though he escaped um, retribution in the uh, ocean, the goddess, the great goddess Nemesis would see to it that, that justice is paid here. You know, we, we use the word nemesis. You know, somebody who is in our life who constantly gives us trouble makes life difficult. We consider them our, you know, our nemesis. You, know, you ever have someone like that? <laughs> they're really irritating people. But anyway, they're thinking of the Greek goddess Nemesis, you know, to bring forth justice upon this escapee. You know, people, people do ask the question, you see it on the news, you know, why do good things, why do bad things happen to what? To good people. The question should be asked, why do good things happen to bad people? Right? Why do bad things happen to Christians? Many answers could be provided for that question. And quite simply, I think we should think of a few things. Number one is though people always jump to these conclusions, um, we live in a fallen world. Right? We live in a fallen world. Jesus' own disciples jumped to this conclusion. Remember this? John 9. Seeing a man born blind. He was blind from birth. The disciples asked him, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
You know, the disciples were thinking that they had worked carefully through this and they needed just a little divine revelation from Jesus to solidify their presupposition. That somebody did something wrong for this man to be born blind. And Jesus explained that they were wrong in their conclusion. Their presupposition was incorrect. In verse 3 of John 9, he says, It was not this man that sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, does that mean they're not sinners? Of course not. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What he's saying is that there's not some specific grievous sin that was the cause of this, this man having been born blind. One obvious thing about suffering to all of us is, as I said earlier, we, we live in a fallen world. Christians, as well as non-Christians who live in a fallen, corrupt world, experience the same things. Accidents, trauma, death of loved ones, all because of the corruption of Eden. What did Paul say about this world? It groans and travails with birth pains, anticipating the day of its redemption. A new heaven and a new earth. It groans. Matthew 5, Jesus said, He makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the the unjust. So bottom line, we live in a fallen world. This is not paradise. So we mustn't be surprised when adversity afflicts God's people. You know, tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes and cancer doesn't seek out who's Christian and who's not. Amen? That's one reason for suffering. Another reason for Christians to suffer is because we need correction, right? Hebrews 12 reminds us that because we are sons, because we are sons and daughters of the Most High, He chastens those He loves. It's proof that we are His children. It's proof that He hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't forsaken us. You know, you think of the corrective suffering of David who went upward of a year without confessing acknowledging, repenting of his uh, adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. And he would later, of course, in response, write Psalm 32, where he said this, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There's another reason for suffering. You know, and interestingly, at the end of that psalm, he writes this, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. God's chastening. So they, they assume there's this false premise that, uh, that this man, this Paul, is uh, under the hand of God's justice or the gods, 
of justice. Um, and then when he didn't keel over and die, they then flipped the script. They're watching this guy. They're waiting for him to die. So now they have to conclude otherwise. So when he's not harmed by this snake, you know, they make him into a god. That's pagan theology. Subjective, flippant, and fickle. So he's turned now in their mind from a devious killer um, to a deity. Paul's the last guy who would want to be thought of as God. All he wanted was to be recognized as a servant of God, a servant of the Most High, a preacher of God's word, not a God. Remember back in chapter 14 near, when they were near Galatia? And there's a man crippled from birth. Paul's preaching. He looks intently at him. He tells him to rise up and walk. And the guy jumps up and starts leaping all over the place. And the people witness it. And what did they say? The gods have come down to us. You know, Barnabas and Paul were there. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So they call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes. And they wanted to offer sacrifices to them. And then... In chapter 14, he says, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. We bring you good news. We're just messengers. We're vessels. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things, turn from this vanity, turn from this emptiness, turn from this idolatry, turn from this false religion to a living God who's made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. The last thing Paul ever wanted to do was share the stage with God. And then not long after that, if you remember, the Jews come and convince the masses to, to stone them. So then they start stoning these guys. They leave Paul for dead. That's the flippancy of pagan religions. So here's Paul back at the fire. He's not experiencing the bitter hand of justice. He's not to be deified. But through, again, his successive trials and sufferings, he had learned what he would later write. That in whatever state he was in, therein he found a way to be what? Content. He knew who was in charge of all things. So there we see the promise of God fulfilled. We see the providence of God once again enacted in this man's life in a less than pleasant way for God's glory, which we'll see here in just a few minutes. But now now we see also the power of God made manifest. We see this publicized healing in verse 7. So there's this startling miracle. This guy's bit by a poisonous viper, and nothing happens. Now in the neighborhood of the place where were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Now I'm wondering, is this, did he show hospitality to all 276? That's a spread if he did. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hand on him, healed him. 
And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. So Publius here is diagnosed, no doubt, by Dr. Luke. Um, And then Paul, by the power of God, um, heals the man. This, this, this was uh, supposedly a reoccurring illness that in this day was by a bacterium that was common within goats and it was spread through goat's milk. So the, the disease would inflame within and it would lay dormant for a while and flame up again and so on. So it was this, this kind of a perpetual ongoing um, sickness that he had. So he heals him, and then when he was healed, others also on the island which had diseases came, and they were also healed. Um, So again, what's God doing? He's establishing credibility within the ministry of his apostle. Signs of an apostle show up once again in the miraculous. Now, Paul was on the island for three or four months, so he had plenty of time to follow up the confirmation, the confirming work of God upon the messenger of God. And Paul, we can be certain, took every opportunity um, to preach the gospel while he was here for these three or four months. Now, God's promise that he would go to Rome. Okay, he's been holding on to this promise for a long time, amen? He promised him. He assured him. You remember that night when Jesus stood beside him when he was in jail? He said, as you have borne witness of me here in Jerusalem, you also bear witness of me in Rome. And he was left yet for two years in prison. In more trials. I mean, literal trials before Roman governors. King Agrippa. So that promise would be fulfilled, but it was, it was disrupted by providential happenings time and time again. And here, it's to be shut up on an island because of a shipwreck for three or four months where God's promises in the midst of it that they would all be spared came to pass, and then uh, by God's providence, a snake bite. amazing the population of the island. A sickness of someone else that God heals through this man, which led to the healing of many, and no doubt the, 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 the gospel spread throughout that island over these three months. And why do we conclude that? Well, I think in verse 10, when we see that they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. If you spend three months preaching the gospel to pagan people, you're going to have to poke holes in their paganism. You're going to have to dismantle their worldview. 
And if you dismantle someone's worldview with the gospel and they raise up against it, it's very unlikely that they're going to put on board whatever you need and honor you greatly. So that's an indication that many of them most likely became believers. And while he was there, a church of the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, had been born on the island of Malta. There's no reason not to conclude that. But look, what every, look at everything that had to happen for that to take place. Just as an encouragement for your own lives. This is how we have to read the scripture. Because trials will come. Trouble is inevitable. Now we don't hope for that, right? I don't hope for that. I was driving in this morning, pulling in here with my wife and saying, you know how pleasant it is to, to drive into this church joyfully? In contrast, juxt- juxtaposed to pastor friends of mine and their wives who go to their congregation who are so divisive and so contentious that they tell me they actually drive in with, with this, this, this tenseness in their neck and just, just kind of hunker down going through the doors like this. Thank you for that, by the way. But things like that, they're beyond our understanding. Why do they have to deal with that? Uh, I don't know. But God is working in it and through it for his glory. I mean, we see what Paul has faced, you know. The apostle of apostles, accused of not being an apostle. He's accused of being the false apostle. He gets bit by a poisonous viper. He's shipwrecked. He's left in a prison for two years. Not unlike Joseph who was left in a prison for two years. Authentic representative of the Most High. So through it all, we see that God's promises remain intact. Regardless of the providence that he may bring about all the while exhibiting his power. Amen?